0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome, everybody! Happy Sunday. This is Al Melker, and you have joined us at FanRag Fantasy Baseball. And my guest today is going to be also from FanRag, Greg Jewett. We've got a lot to talk about. We've, uh, we're uh, not quite knee deep into exhibition games at this point, but certainly there's been enough on the schedule that we've got quite a bit to talk about. Plus, a little bit of a uh, little bit of injury news, and uh, we're gonna get a little bit philosophical too at some point, some point during this show, because uh, now that we're getting uh, upon the, the time of the year where there's not only actual spring training baseball, but actual drafts, not just mocks, but uh, having real drafts in fact I've got one right after the show but uh, we're gonna go uh, a little bit into the background of that and uh, Greg and I'll talk about how we actually arrive at how we rank players and, and how we project them and all that sort of thing in, in case you still have some decisions to make about uh, how you're going to value your players but enough of all that Greg good to have you on the show again uh, good morning to you
1: thanks Al great to be here
0: Uh, Yeah, always good to have you on, Greg. So um, let's just start with a little bit of the news. Uh, J.D. Martinez, who actually I just wrote about for FanRag in our uh, outfield preview that we're going to discuss a little bit later today. Some not great news for him. He was scratched uh, from a start with a tight pectoral muscle. Uh, Just appears to be a minor injury at this point. But, of course, uh, in spring training, a lot of times we say things are precautionary, things are minor. And they linger, uh, so that is one to watch. Also, Jason Kipnis has a rotator cuff strain in his right shoulder. He received a cortisone shot, and so that means he's not going to be able to throw for four or five days at least. And uh, good injury news, Zach Britton, uh, last week we were talking about his uh, oblique injury. He is now reporting that his oblique is pain-free, so looks like uh, Zach Britton dodged a bullet there. Sticking with the Orioles, Michael Bourne, uh, he has a broken ring finger. He'll be out four weeks. Uh, I know that he's not been really high in uh, ADP, but if you're looking for a sneaky steal source, uh, that's some, some potential bad news there. And Lucas Duda, more back problems for him. He's got a stiff back. So maybe that plan B of getting uh, Jay Bruce some ground balls at first base, maybe that's going to be, be a reality uh, sooner than later. Uh, now, Greg, a report from the Seattle Times, uh, Scott Service said that uh, he is giving Mitch Haniger the green light to steal bases, and I know that this was a, an issue both for Haniger and for Gene Segura coming from Arizona, where at the time Chip Hale was the manager, notoriously aggressive in terms of giving his runners the green light. How does this uh, change your view, if at all, in terms of the value for Haniger and for Segura?
1: Um, well, I know, I know you're the president of the Gene Segura fan club.
0: so <laughs> why um, I asked the question. It's I, my duty as president.
1: <laughs> um, I have no issue really with, uh, I'm kind of with you as far as Segura goes. I, I, you know, obviously it's a, it's a minor ballpark effect, but I don't think it's as grandiose as people are making it out to be going from Arizona to Seattle. If he's still hitting at the top of the lineup, um, and, and based on the lineups last year that he had behind him in Arizona, I mean, I know there's Goldschmidt there, but there's much more depth with Cano and Cruz and other folks uh, being able to drive Segura in. So, yeah, there might be some pullback on average with Segura, but I still think he's, he's solid, especially uh, people are treading lightly on him early in drafts. So um, his price is not inflated, whereas other people have seen theirs rise. So I, I really have no problem with Segura. I'm curious about Haniger. I mean, yeah, he's got a green light, and they say he's, he can steal 20 bases, but even last year across A AA and AAA, he, he was 12 for 16. So usually as players move up the food chain, they steal less bases. Um, so I'm not convinced that Hanniger can get 20. I mean, uh, it's possible. Um, we'll just have to see. It's also going to be uh, where he ends up in the batting order.
0: Yeah, that's that's an important variable as well. And as I'm now looking back at our outfield rankings, now Hanager didn't make our top 75. So you won't find that in the draft preview on the site. Uh, and part of the reason for that is that of the three of us, you, Jim Finch and myself, I'm the only one who gave Hanager a vote in the top 75. I ranked him 72nd. So in addition to being the Gene Segura fan club president, it appears that I, I hold the same title for Mitch Hanager's fan club. Um, Do you see anything there? Okay, you know, you're expressing some skepticism on the stolen bases. I think that's a fair thing because every spring you have players saying, I'm going to steal 20, I'm going to steal 30, I'm going to steal 40. And uh, the the regular season brings a a dose of reality to a lot of those uh, proclamations. And was it last year Joe Kelly said he was going to win the Cy Young? That one didn't work out either, I don't think.
1: (laughs) I think it was the one before (laughs) that, but yeah. Yeah, uh, but on a side note, I think I think Joe Kelly could do very well in a Delon Patanis like role for doing like four outs in a game and just throwing heat.
0: Yeah, well, when I'm a Cy Young, but it'd probably make him a little bit more valuable in fantasy, despite the, you know, the lack of a high profile role. I I agree with that. But getting back to Haneker, do you think there's enough power there, uh, for him to now again in in our initial rankings, you didn't put him in the top seventy five but is there maybe at least some late round flyer intrigue, deep league intrigue, something there for Haniger just because of the power that he showed last season?
1: Uh, I think there could be, I mean, he's going to get, he's going to get full run and have a chance to do this. So that puts him ahead of other people that, um, are, are fighting for playing time or full time spots. I mean, it sounds like Seattle is just going to put him in right field and just see what happens. Um, you know, now it's time to differentiate. Is he a is he a quad A guy, or is he somebody that can be uh, a regular you know a regular player? So um, as long as Seattle's willing to find out, I think he's definitely he merits a, uh, a bench spot. And if you're if you're taking like a late round, like you're saying, uh, if you you kind of let outfield sit there, you know, you can pop him in as your fifth outfielder and see what happens. I mean, he's a high OBP guy in the minors. That thing's been there. So as long as the on-base can translate, even if he hits in the 250 range, he's still going to have value in that lineup.
0: Now, do you think that'll be enough to keep him in that lineup? Uh, Guillermo Heredia had a two-double game, I believe it was yesterday, for the Mariners. Ben Gamble, uh earlier in the offseason, was basically already being penciled in as a starter in the outfield, or be- in the outfield before they went and got Gerard Dyson. I mean, do you think there's enough depth there that is going to have to look over his shoulder and that that's something to think about? When you're considering, if he, him, off, uh, if he gets
1: off to a slow start, as possible. I mean, Ed, Hanninger's definitely somebody that you're going to watch in the spring, not for stats, but just to see how his at bats are going, where he's hitting in the lineup, and, and how the Mariners are deploying them. You know, I, you can't. You know, you you and I will probably cover this in the projections and rankings, soccer thing later. But spring is a time to to see guys at bats, see what their approach is and how a team is using them. I think that's
0: that's what we're trying to clue in on. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's at this time of year, that's what you really need to pay a lot of attention to. Uh, well, let's get on to some other spring news. Uh, as I said at the Open, uh, there's now been enough games played that we, we really have some performances to talk about. And I think probably, even though it didn't come against a major league squad, the one that seems to be drawing the most attention was Lou Brinson's spring debut, hitting two home runs for the Brewers, against the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. Uh, Now, no single performance in the spring game should, in my opinion, change anybody's mind about anything, but at least it does put a player on the radar and and gives us a chance to to review what they've done and where they've been the last year or two. What are your thoughts on Brinson in terms of mixed league viability? Um, He's
1: going to be intriguing, especially um, we had later in the show to talk about Keon Broxton. So, this, this is who Keon Broxton's probably looking over his shoulder at. So um, I'm, I think this spring the, uh, the Brewers will probably start him in AAA just to, uh, to give Broxton a chance. But if Broxton struggles or that uh, strikeout rate uh, goes back to where it was at one point last year, um, I think Brinson could be up after the Super 2 day passes.
0: Yeah, no, I would think so, too. And and my biggest concern for Brinson would be, this is something you just addressed, was where does he fit? Because the Brewers suddenly, I think, have a very deep lineup. And if uh, Broxton were to struggle, not only could you look at Brinson and and what he's doing in AAA, but Aaron Perez doesn't have a place to play regularly. I think he could slot in as well. Uh, Kirk Neunheis is still around, and I've got some Sort of strange fascination with him, although <laughs> I don't think he really belongs in the same <laughs> discussion as, as the other two uh, I just mentioned. But uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. Now another two. I think in a perfect oh,
1: oh, sorry. I said I think in a perfect world, um, Broxton starts out okay, and then maybe the Brewers can deal him to a team that's looking for some speed, and then they can they can keep sliding people in. I, I think the the way the Brewers have layered that system is they've got guys almost ready to fill in slots. So if things go right and they can trade people for, for more prospects in the future, they're going to keep turning that roster over.
0: Yeah, that would really be the smart thing to do. And they could do that with Perez. They could do that with Scooter Jeanette. Um, Yeah, they could do that with a number of players. Like I said, I think it's become a very deep roster, especially uh, in terms of the everyday players. very quickly. They've done a great job with that. Now, uh, Michael Franco, obviously in a more established role this year. Uh, also a two-homer game against the Yankees. Do you see any upside for him this year? Because I think last year a lot of us were projecting upside for Franco and he fell a little bit short. I guess really this is maybe a, just an awkward way for me to ask, is he a post-hype sleeper <laughs> candidate?
1: <laughs> you mean two home runs doesn't coronate him as the guy to target today? Um <laughs> one of my buddies, he tweeted out, he was like, Oh my God, go get Franco right now. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, uh, my home league keeper. We've been around forever and ever. It's a bunch of other teachers and myself, and there's some really savvy players in that league. Um, I'm sitting on Franco for $4. So we're at a point with contracts. Do I offer him a contract? Do I try and trade him? I'm really trying to figure out, I want to watch his first couple of weeks and see, you know, he, he's, he's had a tough spot because the beat writers don't love him because they perceive him as lazy. He underachieved last year for fantasy. So there's a lot of people that are turning their heads to him. So he could be a post hype guy, but it's really, I want to see if he's going to do the things with on base, take a little step forward with that. Uh, but he's going to hit in the heart of that lineup. And when you play in Philadelphia, that has to merit some attention.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, playing in Philadelphia, I, I think the, I mean, look, the power wasn't bad last year. It was, you know, he hit 25 home runs. And in a way, the disappointing thing was that the the doubles power dried up. But I, I don't know that that's something that's necessarily going to be better for, for Franco going forward. Because it's just, you know, there's certain types of hitters when you look at the stat lines. And they have about as many or more home runs and doubles. That's a sign of somebody who hits a lot of fly balls. can be a little pole heavy. Doesn't necessarily always make the... Uh, the strongest contact, and and I think Franco fits fits uh, fits that mold. I mean, he pops the ball up a lot. Not really um, uh, a notable hard contact rate. Not a notable line drive rate. It's just twenty four. All these things can change, but uh, yeah, I, I, if he has a breakout season, I'm probably going to be one of those owners that's caught sleeping on it. <laughs> <laughs> So. Yeah, Julie.
1: know? like I said, I, 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 right now, I don't know what to do with them. If I could deal them, I probably will. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, hopefully. I know one of them's listening because he already texted me. But hi, Todd. Um, we'll we'll see what happens <laughs> with all the others.
0: Any more leak shout outs? There. That was. That, yeah, that was a nice <laughs> uh, addition to the show. There. <laughs> no, no, no more.
1: I know <laughs> Benler stalks me. It's okay.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, here's something uh, you you actually. Um, Greg, you sent me a note with several things that uh, you know I think were, are important to to mention. Uh, but actually, take a look at the clock here. We don't really have time to to get to them in this segment, but we will definitely get them into the next segment. So we're going to talk Pirates rotation, Dan Vogelbach, Colton Wong, bunch of other guys. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Sunday edition of FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host, and my guest today, Greg Jewett, also from uh, FanRag Fantasy Baseball. We have had our outfield draft guide uh, up all week, uh, building up day by day with new features, and we're going to turn the page tomorrow, Monday, onto uh, starting pitchers. We're going to talk a little bit about each of those uh, positions and how we rank some players a little bit later on. But we do have a few notes uh, to just go back to from uh, this weekend's action in spring training. And, uh, Greg, you uh, mentioned to me that you wanted to talk about the Pirates' rotation. It is interesting because you've clearly got Garrett Cole uh, as the, the team ace. Jamison Tyone, after a very good rookie season, clearly uh, earning a spot there. And, of course, with the re-signing of Von Nova, I don't think they re-signed him to put him in the bullpen but that leaves the four and five spots open and conspicuously absent from that top three is um, Tyler Glass now. And then uh, there's also, you know, a couple other, at least a couple other names to, to think about. Chad cool, drew Hutchison. How do you see this all playing out?
1: Uh, another, another team to really watch in the spring. I, I think they like Glass now, but his height makes his deliverable, his delivery very hard to repeat. Um. So he still has command issues, which you can see in all of his uh, walk rates in the minors, and he's working on another pitch. So, uh, as all that pieces together, I think they, in an ideal world, they'll start him in Triple A. Um, you put in the notes, Cool uh, and Hutchison. Um, those two names came to mind. As me, I'm not as big on Cool. Um, I'd rather take a chance on the upside of Hutchison, even though he's burned me in the past. Um, it's just more of my faith in, uh, in Ray Searage. That's something Nando and I have shared in tweets through the years. You know, you know, you got a broken picture, we send them to Ray and he fixes them. So, you know, you you saw what he did for Ivan Nova in just a short time. He worked with them last year. Um, they're tweaking Hutchinson's delivery a little bit. So definitely if uh, there's a spring game, I'm going to, I'm going to tune into that and hit the old rewind button. I got the, the Apple TV this weekend. So I was, on spring training overload yesterday.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great thing. Uh, yeah, and I've uh, been spending some time on it as well this weekend. Uh, yeah, and no, I like the the point about the Searidge effect. We saw it with Nova. We've seen it with uh, several pitchers over the years, Francisco Liriano, A.J. Burnett, just to name a couple. Hutchison seems like a, a key candidate. Another one who I think is a, a dark horse at best would be Josh Lindblom, who's actually, who actually did start Saturday really? against the Rays. And of course, this time of year, you see a lot of pitchers who are really nominal starters in these exhibition games, but they're really either being primed for a, a relief role or a swingman role. And, and Lindblom is probably a long shot to even make, rotate or make the major league roster in any capacity. But he also strikes me as somebody who could be an intriguing Searidge, uh reclamation candidate, too because uh, mm-hmm. he's shown at times so the ability to strike batters out, he's an extreme flyball pitcher, I like that match for PNC Park, and if he can just help Bloom to work on his control as he's doing with Glassnow, as you mentioned, as he I assume he's doing with, with Hutchison, that's, that's a name for deep leagues that I would, would also tuck away as well, but I agree with you, I think... Mm-hmm last now probably slated for triple-A given all the things he's working on. Uh, you alluded to he's adding the two-seamer, working on some grip changes, so he may need some time to, to work on all that. Now, Brad Zimmer is somebody that also uh, drew your attention uh, over the weekend. Uh, what, what do you see with him?
1: Well, obviously he had a big game yesterday and it's hard to, it's hard to uh, hide a guy when he has a five-RBI outing, but what I liked was the approach, um, his the home run he hit. I know it wasn't against a very good pitcher, but it was a pitch on the outer half, and he didn't try and yank it and roll it over to the the second baseman. He went with the pitch, and it was a very easy swing. And the ball, the ball had good carry to left center. So that was something. When you see uh, when you see a batter with a live bat like that, that was nice to see. Um, it was something that really that that's what stood out to me because it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a crazy swing. It was just a nice easy. He had a nice rotation, uh, you know, the hands weren't crazy. It was compact and he just basically flicked it. And it, it car- I know the ball carries in Arizona, but it, it was into the bullpen. So it definitely caught my eye that he didn't try and pull the pitch and that he had power the opposite way. Those were two things, you know, I'm just not an naked person.
0: Yeah, well, you know, that was the follow-up I was going to, you know, bring is that the that Indians outfield just seems like it's wide open. And uh, do, you th- do you think Zimmer is just a, Zimmer is just somebody to stash, uh, or do you think there's an opportunity for him to break camp with the team?
1: I think there's an opportunity, but it's going to be it's going to be a layered effect. You know, you know what 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 is Brantley going to do? I think that's the biggest question mark for Cleveland and Francona as they go through the spring training. You know, you know, we, we you hinted on Kipnis, but you know he's he's been pretty durable through the years. Although it's a shoulder, so that's something that we definitely have to watch because shoulders have had a huge impact on players, not only with performance but power. So, um, definitely something worth noting. But, uh, you know, last year I got caught on the Brantley train. I thought I was being cute and stashed in a couple of leagues, and he just never made it back. So, you know, yeah. he's hitting off a tee, but if I had a dollar for every time I heard that last year.
0: <laughs> now, what about Dan Vogelbach? A couple of. Oppos, opposite field hits for him. He's uh mm-hmm. pretty low in our first base rankings. I'm sure some of that is uh, the platoon situation he finds himself in and some of that is probably just the lack of track record. But uh how encouraged are you by uh what you see, obviously not just in the one game but just overall from Vogelbach?
1: Well, he's always he's he's another one that's been an OBP guy, so like Haniger, that really it really helps that lineup. Um, anytime you've got guys that are on base people, it just lengthens it and makes it difficult, more difficult to go through. So if they're not going to chase bad pitches, and they're showing willingness to go the opposite way, those are two positive things as you're making the jump to the major leagues. So, you know, there's some latent power there with Vogelbach. He kind of he looks like a designated hitter if you if you see him, but um, if he if he can play the positive side of that platoon, he definitely has AL only value, and he could. If he if he shows a little more power, he could put himself into the uh, conversation in deeper mix leagues.
0: Yeah, no, that that sounds fair too. It's just all about how that power power translates and power translates and how much batting average there actually is going to be there uh, mm-hmm. in leagues that don't reward walks or OBP. And Colton Wong having some shoulder issues does that change your mind about him or? Uh, Johnny Peralta, Shida Jerko, any of the many players uh, in those, uh, really those moving parts in the Cardinals infield situation.
1: Uh, it's a boon to Jerko if it's if it's something that's going to linger. You know, uh, Wong collapsed in the second half last year, but many many thought that that was due to the uh, the concussion issue that he had. And now we were talking about he played outfield in the game, and that's when he hurt his shoulder. And that's what's been lingering over. So again, shoulder shoulders are red flags. So I don't think any of us were super high in Colton Wong, but he's somebody that you can get uh, in like the 23rd, 24th round, even in a 15 teamer, as a late middle infielder guy that can give you potential for double digits and home runs and steals. But um, if the shoulder is going to be an issue, it's definitely going to force his value down, and it's going to has the potential to move Jerko up a little, but I don't think people are really gonna overreact to it.
0: Yeah, and nor nor do I think they should really, but uh i I think it's a situation that probably does impact Jerko and Peralta more than than Wong himself because like you said, he's really a, mm-hmm. a late rounder at best. And I just want to take a quick look ahead to Sunday's games because there's a lot of uh, interesting pitching matchups. Granted, those matchups are probably going to last about two innings. But Trevor May is getting a start for the Twins, and so he's going to be stretched out as a starter this spring. Thought he showed a lot of promise a couple years ago before he got hurt uh, in that role, and uh, I think he's one to watch, especially because he'll be relief eligible in leagues that have such a thing. But uh, let's go, I promised earlier we'd talk a little bit of... uh, Projection and ranking philosophy, and Greg, uh, you know, you've shared with me. You've got a, a pretty uh, intricate system for evaluating players, and I, I I'm not asking you to give away your your secret sauce or anything. But what are some of the key things you look for when you're sizing up players uh, in the off season and and projecting and ranking them?
1: Ah, this is this would probably take us through the break, but um, I try and look at. <laughs> at least the last two to three years um, you, you, with hitters, you start with the slash lines um, with pitchers. You're looking at DRA and whip, you know, there's, there's things you can't predict. You can't predict BAPIP for either side of the baseball. Um, trying to predict wins with pitchers is a very slippery slope. Um, so there's, there's all different caveats that go into it. Then you're trying to see who, who showed breakouts in a in second half and if they can carry them over. Cause you know, there was a lot of people when Daniel Murphy uh, started percolating at the end of 2015 and through the playoffs were saying there's no way he can do that for a full season. And then he turned around and did. So, you know, but for every Daniel Murphy, there's other guys who just had a hot half and flame out. So you're trying to discern, is it, is it fluky? Is it not? And then you're trying to put all that into a package. So, um, I try and use sort of the the SGP things where each column is weighted um, based upon you know performance. And I try and slot all those numbers in the best that I can, figuring out how many innings a pitcher is going to pitch, how many at-bats a player is going to get, and then uh, the numbers that I think that they could aggregate um, with those at-bats and innings pitched, and then it kind of kicks out a value thing at the end. And then I, I use that mostly for my rankings. If I see a guy looks like, Hey, I'm either too low or I like him better than this one. I'll adjust the numbers a little bit to, to make them fit when I'm thinking. But, um, I try not to live too much on the ADP because the hardest thing is, is that we're trying to project them going forward. So just cause they did something last year or two years ago, doesn't mean that they can do it this year.
0: Yeah, well, and I agree with you in terms of my own process uh, on on a lot of what you said. But you said one thing that's really interesting, and we are coming up on break really soon. So, so give us a chance to think about this for a couple minutes during the break, because I really want to explore this. Now, you said with hitters, you focus on the slash line, pitchers, ERA, and whip. You don't, and, and correct me if I'm paraphrasing this wrong, but you don't really concern yourself too much with Babbitt because of the randomness. I completely well, disagree a, with it's... that.
1: <laughs> oh, 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 no all right well i'll I'll contextualize that better after the break
0: okay well yeah we'll uh, dig into that because i think that's a really that's a really key part of what i do um on a, you know sort of a minutia level in trying to project uh hitters and pitchers and uh well we'll dig into a little bit of that minutia after the break and then get into some of our actual rankings so stay tuned Welcome back, everyone, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and my guest today is Greg Jewett. We both write for FanRag Sports, which probably not coincidentally is why we're here on FanRag Fantasy Baseball. So uh, do uh, check out Greg's work, and uh, both of us, as well as our colleague Jim Finch, we've been putting together draft guides for every position. The uh, outfield draft guide is uh, up uh, we'll have p- each of us, the three of us will have uh, pieces on our overall approach to the position of outfield uh, today. And then uh, tomorrow, Monday we'll unveil the uh, rankings for starting pitchers. I've already referred to that a little bit. We'll cover that in a little bit more detail later on, Greg, but uh, we were in mid discussion just before the break and we're going to dig into a little projected talk, a little bit of Babbitt talk. So um you know, I'm, I know that's got everybody on the edge of their seats right now, but we'll, we'll make it worth your <laughs> while because I think this is I think this is really interesting stuff. Um, so you had said you wanted to contextualize what you had said earlier about how you approach those ball and play stats into your projections in addition to the, you know, kind of the the closer to the surface level types of indicators.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't know how you feel about it, but that can be a bit fluky. Um, I'm really curious to see, like, what happens this year with John Lester because his bat really, um, it really went to a, a a different level of low for him, which resulted in his fantastic season. And there's moving pieces here. I mean, yes, the Cubs play terrific defense, even though they may still play Zobras at second over Baez, but that's another argument for another day. Um, but this year, uh, it was Paul Spohr uh, in, his, in his write-up a little bit on uh, pitchers ADP you know, he did a split on Ross, you know, with Ross as his catcher and not, you know, and Lester's ERA without Ross is 3.71. So that was interesting. So, you know, I know people are in on Lester, but there's a lot of things going on with him. There's, there's the, there's the fact that teams can bunt on him. You can run on him. So a player like Billy Hamilton is, is somebody that Lester does not want to see in the lineup just because if he gets on base, he has a chance to be on third after a couple of pitches. Um, So, you know, but BAPIP to me, sometimes, you know, there's there's random seasons where there's a variance and whatever. So, you know, I try not to buy too much into a, a high or a low BAPIP in a one season outlier, but it's just a matter of how all of those pieces move together. I mean, I try and pull up the pages of all these guys when I'm doing the rankings, see, see as many of the stats as I can and, and just try and make as good of a decision as I can when I try and put in those final numbers. There's so many moving pieces on these guys. But what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, yeah, now that you've, you've given you know some context, I mean, I don't think we really disagree all that much. Um, but the, I guess if there's a difference, maybe, and maybe it's it's not a difference, uh, it, it is something that I do look at for every player, every hitter, every pitcher, and try to tease out what might, you know, well, really try to tease out what is the meaning of of the BABIP rate, even if it's a normal one, because sometimes you have pitchers or hitters that have a normal BABIP rate, but then you get to those underlying indicators of uh, how often do they pull the ball, how hard do they hit the ball, how often do they hit it in the air as opposed to the ground, because uh, obviously BABIP for grounders is is going to be greater for for fly balls and greater for line drives than they are for grounders, so. You know, I really try to see if there's a, a match or a mismatch between the batted ball profile and the BABIP. Mm-hmm. And that's how and this kind of gets to the second part of the question I was going to pose to you, which is then how do your projections generate for you not only your rankings, but maybe your sleeper and, and your bus pit, picks? And for me, oftentimes it's not just Babip, sometimes it's home run to fly ball ratio, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of playing time or injury history. But a lot of times mm-hmm. these mismatches between Babbit break. And batted ball profile will point up, put point to me, who are the busts and who are the sleepers based on, you know, what direction regression might take with those players. And just top of mind, two players that I was researching yesterday for this starting pitcher uh, draft guide that that we're all working on, I was looking at Carlos Rodon, who I already liked very much as a sleeper this year because mm-hmm. of the the steady improvement throughout the year. But up until really the last two months last season, he had, a ridic- he had allowed a ridiculously high batting average on ground balls. And not that the White Sox infield Tim Anderson accepted, you know, is the greatest, but it was really out of line with the rest of the staff. And I thought, well, Rodon's probably an even better sleeper than I thought because he really mm-hmm. did seem to, to endure some bad luck. And then I also looked at Jay Happ, who was somebody who I figured would be a bust because he really made a lot of his value last year on low babip and on high strand rate. Now I don't really have an explanation for the strand rate, but the the um, the low babip really was pretty close to in line with the rest of the Jay's staff. And again, because of that good in field defense. Mm-hmm. So you know that that's kind of the sort of thing that I look at when when projecting a player on Pretty much of a systematic basis, and not just when you know. Oh, this guy hit 360 on balls in play. Let's let's see if there's any hope for for legitimacy with this. So that you know that that again yeah. maybe that that's not that much of a difference, but that was you know initially where I thought maybe we had a little bit of difference in emphasis. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and you touched upon Rodon. I really think you know it just stinks this year that the White Sox are going to be so bad because. Part of what depresses his and part of what depressed my ranking of uh, Quintana was how many games that these guys going to win. I mean, last year was the first time Quintana ever got past double figures in wins, and the White Sox are going to be pretty bad this year. So, you know, it, unfortunately, wins is a part. You know, if you play in a league with quality starts, both of those guys um, can see an uptick in their value. But if you're if you're basing so – you know – if you're in a league with wins, especially some of the leagues that do forecasts with wins as one of them, it makes it, those guys, as far as sleeper value, I mean, it, it makes it tough. I, I really like on to take a step forward in possible K's this year. Um, and if he can get that whip down, then he definitely becomes an intriguing player where he's being drafted.
0: Yeah, and I think he will get the whip down because the control was something that really improved steadily after the first uh, either a month and a half or two months. I don't remember exactly where the, the cutoff point was for him. Well, let, let's turn this conversation towards outfielders, since that is the draft guide that is is currently up and currently being updated. And one player that I can relate to this discussion that we're having about how to um, predict batting average and the Babbitt part of the batting average. Andrew Benintendi, who's somebody I like a whole lot better than you do, Craig. Uh, he ranks 41st collectively among the three of us, you, me, and Jim. Uh, I've got him 31st for what it's worth. So does Jim. But, you know, we're, we're not going to go with majority rule here. We're, we're going to, you know, <laughs> look at the, the two sides of this. Uh, you've got him 62nd among outfielders. And just to you know, very quickly, kind of put in my two cents, but also related to this discussion, part of what I like about Benintendi is that even if he doesn't reclaim the very low strikeout rates that he had in the minor leagues, because he almost doubled his strikeout rate between Double A and, and the majors last year, he hit 367 on balls in play. That's extreme for almost any player. That's a red flag for regression. But he's consistently been a really good line drive hitter and of course the more line drives you can hit the more you're gonna help yourself on balls and play. So, you know, I kinda of like that as an insurance policy for Benintendi, you know, never mind the fact that he's gonna bat probably second or at least somewhere very high up in in a very good Red Sox lineup. So that's what I like about Benintendi. What do you like not so much? Uh
1: it's not that I don't like Ben and Teddy because I really I believe in his uh capabilities as a hitter to translate to the majors. You know, he was untouchable with Red Sox trade talks. Uh, They, they know what they have in him. It's just a matter of, I'm, I'm just worried that they may platoon him. I could be wrong about this, but um, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna send up and move past Pedroia in the two hole and then plus play full time. I'm just, I projected him to get 449 at bats because that's usually what the positive side of platoon would get as a lefty. Um, do, do you see him playing full-time all year?
0: Uh, I think there's, a, you know, I do worry about it like you, but I think there's a good chance that he could because uh, I think that there's also going to be a platoon partner needed for, for Mitch Moreland. And, you know, Chris, Chris Young will platoon for one of them. But beyond mm-hmm. that, I'm not really sure. Um, it just, if, if you ask me to go on a hunch, you know, I, I would think that Moreland would be more likely to be platoon to Benintendi, or maybe they split the difference. But I just I okay. think there's en- enough goodness there in terms of the skills and going to be enough weeks that he's a, a, a major positive for you that I'm willing to take a risk with that uh, with that probability. And and just to preview to what I wrote for today's um, position wrap up uh, on the outfield. I just really hate this position this year. There's so much uncertainty, and I put together a list mm-hmm, of—I don't remember—it was maybe eight players who I view as safe picks beyond the first round uh, for outfield. I mean, it, it's not an exhaustive list, but you know the point I was just trying to make is that there's a lot more risk in the pool than there is certainty. And Ben Benintendi, mm-hmm. for reasons that you're pointing out, is part of that risk—that large risky group. But given that, that's the bulk of who you're looking at. I'm going to be measuring players a lot by upside.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's do it. I mean, if he gets over 500 bats, then that's going to change with my ranking system. That could, that could change him 20 spots right there. And then I'm almost in line with you guys. Yeah. It's just, I played the cautious end with him. Um, I I'm curious to see if he will hit second all year and then how the, how the Red Sox shape the lineup after that. That's fine. If he plays full time and he bats second, then I'm way too low on him. I'm just not convinced that they're going to fully take the reins off. And, again, I could be totally wrong. And that's the nice thing because we have we – still got a month here to really refine, um, you know, yeah. the last-minute drafts and whatnot. I, I, think, I think rankings are, are living and breathing organisms. It's not like, you know, I think Ben Attendee this ranked today, but it doesn't mean in two weeks he, he won't be changing. You know, that's, that's the hardest thing when we do all these projections and we do this stuff and it's ahead of time, you know, things change, values change, you know, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be other stuff coming up that, uh, guys are going to be moving up and down the list as, as we keep moving forward.
0: Now, that's an excellent point. Um. So, yeah, and I could say the same, too, with a lot of players. You know, their their position's very fluid, and especially parts of the rankings where it's it's very bunchy. Now, before the break, we've got mm-hmm. time to talk about one more player, and since you said you wanted to talk about Keon Broxton, let's do it. So uh, let's see. Let's take a look here because I forget exactly where uh, we've got them respectively. I uh, believe you were the high. Yes. Uh, you have Broxton 35th. I've got him 58th so um, and you know, here's a case where you know there's upside but uh, I also see a, a lot of risk um, oh yeah and, and the, the up, and I't see the upside maybe being quite as great as for Ben tendon so what what's what's the case for Roxton
1: uh, the only case for Broxton again I'm I'm cautiously optimistic just because the Brewers they, they run and they're aggressive on the bases and he he had a you know, a very uh, favorable finish to the year, but a lot of that was um, luck. So it's, it's based more on the fact that he can possibly give you double digit home runs, low double digits, but he has a chance to steal 30 or more bases, which unfortunately with the scarcity fueled in on steals, you know, it's, I haven't taken him yet in any drafts just because I, the price, the price is maybe a bit too inflated right now on him. Um, so, and, and if I'm in a draft where, like the other day, that mock I did with uh, Adam Ronis and a couple of others, I got Altuve and Pollock early. So saves, or excuse me, steals weren't really at the top of my needs list. So that's not a draft where I'm going to take somebody like Broxton. It's more of if I need late steal upside, that's where I'm looking towards him. He, he's a player that could easily change positions with Ben Attendi in two weeks without even a question, or without, a, without a question in my mind.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's an excellent point to make. So, we're going to head to our last break here. When we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk about some starting pitcher rankings. So, stay tuned. Hi, this is Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves, and you're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. It's the home stretch last segment of the fan rag fantasy baseball show i'm your host al melchior and help me take it on home greg jewett also from fantasy or excuse me fan rag uh, fantasy sports uh so greg we've been talking quite a bit about our outfield rankings which have been up for uh, about a week and we're gonna flip the page starting tomorrow monday uh and move our draft guides attention to starting pitchers and uh you know, not, uh, they're not up yet, and I'm not going to do a full reveal here. But uh, it is pretty interesting that you know we really, I, I, you know, we've talked about this offline. I mean, I feel like we tend to agree on a lot of things, whether it's just approach of how we do things or the outcome of that approach and how we value certain players. Not so with starting pitchers. Lots of disagreement. <laughs> Maybe we can uh, continue on with this discussion uh, next Sunday's show after uh, we've had the full reveal. But I wanted to just kind of handpick a few of these pitchers and and just uh, preview it a, a little bit. So uh, if you're ready, let's start with uh, Garrett Cole, who I'll acknowledge is, I think, one of the tougher pitchers to really place in rankings this year. Um, you know, there's the, the clear demonstrated upside. And then there was, you know, last season, which was disappointing and, and injury filled. So you... Uh, do not uh, feel quite as good about uh, Garcole as I do uh, you've got him 46th I've got him 21st so uh why such a downer Greg
1: it's not a downer I projected him for 160 innings I just I want to see the velocities and I want to know he's healthy so this this is a player just like Ben Attendee and some others I started cautious and then as the spring rolls along I mean you know there was, one, there was one draft I was doing where I desperately needed upside a pitcher, so I took Cole. Luckily, the person ahead of me didn't do it because uh, pitching was going at a high premium in that draft. You know, So it's not like I haven't targeted Cole. This is just I'm willing to pay for right now 160 innings. I could be wrong on that. Um, he, he's been over 200 once in the majors. That was 2015, and then last year it, it kind of affected him. He was the guy – especially last year, crazy swing swinging Um His strike rate was down, but he still had a solid sip. I mean, all the tools are there. It's just, if he's going to give me 185 to 200 innings, then he's going to go right up to where you have him.
0: Well, and, you know, maybe that there's another philosophical difference that's been revealed here, because I'm looking a little further down our rankings. You've got Rich Hill 49th. I've got him 25th. So we both have Hill just a few spots behind Cole, and I'm sure that the divide... Is the same thing. Whereas I, you know, I'm not at all expecting Hill to produce even 180 innings, but I'm willing to fill in with replacement level talent and get the get the great stats. And I'm actually more confident of Hill putting up good stats than I am for Cole. But I think there's yeah, more risk same too. same deal. I, mean, why I'm I a little further back.
1: Yeah, I mean, but, I, you know, I, I projected Hill with 157 strikeouts, I believe, and 140 innings. So, I mean, you know, it's just innings pitched with him. You know, last year the blister was frustrating. Um, it's depressed his price. But if you can get a back-end guy to double up with him, you know, there was a theory a couple years back with uh, Baseball HQ saying, you know, get a high home run guy like Chris Carter. And then back then that's when uh, Revere was fantasy relevant and get a uh, an average guy with some stolen bases and then you create a monster of two guys, you know, if you put them together, now you've got a 2020 player, you know, you can do that with pitching this year. You can take some chances, it, pitching's all over the board in the drafts I've been doing. There's been drafts where people are loading up, taking three early. There's drafts where people are just waiting around and getting the bounce back guys. Um, you know, it, it's going to be a very unique, pitching and outfield this year is a very slippery slope. So, you know, who you get and where you get them could really determine the final outcomes.
0: Yeah, I agree. For whatever reason, uh, I'm a little more down on on outfield because I just think that the deeper that you get in the pitching pool, that, yeah, maybe there's just as much risk as there is in those uh, same tiers in the outfield, but there's just so many upside guys, you know, like a Rich Hill, um, you know, Lance McCullers, um, Aaron Nola, Mm -hmm. that I, you know, I'm really pretty excited about and, and more, uh, more willing to take the risk on them. Now, another mm-hmm. name that uh, you know I, I had put on a list for for us to discuss is Danny Salazar. This may not nearly be as nearly uh, an, as interesting a, a discussion as I had hoped because you know, like I said, I, I wasn't really aware of the difference that we had in terms of how to deal with the risk of of pitchers not delivering a lot of innings. Is that the reason why we disagree so much on Salazar? Is it is it uh, health and innings for him, or or, or is this yeah, altogether I, different?
1: I don't know. He's sort of a tease. I mean, last year, I mean, the, the strikeouts are there. Um, you look at 2015, I mean, he had a solid year. Even his ERA being at 345, it was fully supported by a fifth of 3.6. I mean, it wasn't like it was crazy, crazy variance. It's just he's got 185 innings once.
0: Yeah, so, no, I mean, there's, you know, yeah.
1: the, the, to, to fully expect him to just come out and throw 185 innings this year, I mean, if Cleveland needs him to, I just don't know if he's going to.
0: Now, what point is the you know upside so great that you're willing to discount? Because we seem to be pretty much in lockstep in terms of how many spots apart we have these guys that we've discussed so far, you know, Rich Hill, um, uh, Danny Salazar, and, um, and Garrett Cole. Uh, you know, is there a point, cause to me, Salazar is somebody who, and I guess I put Richel in this, in this, uh, in this category as well, that there's, there's just so much upside in terms of the quality of performance that I'm willing to take the hit and, and stream in guys when they're on the DL. Um, is there anybody, to, to, so Salazar, it would appear that doesn't clear that hurdle for you. Is there anybody that you can think of top of mind? where you're willing to give them a little bump five spots ten spots because of how good they are.
1: You see it's funny you say that because and, and I know I know Jim was kind of kind of calling me out a little bit on the rankings. It's just a matter of you know every draft so every draft has been so different that I've been taken a part of and, and just like projections are a living breathing organism so are those drafts, you know. People sometimes base solely on ADP, but, you know, ADP is just a guy that kind of sets the market and then you have to read the room and then react to it. So, you know, I, I haven't been jumping up and, oops, sorry. I haven't been jumping up too much on starting pitchers. I kind of let them fall to I me. Mean, I've never been a person that targets them early. So uh, maybe next Sunday I'll come up with a couple of guys and say, Hey, you know what? I, I'm willing to pay a little more for John Gray than other people, even though he's in Colorado. I just I like those strikeouts in the second half, and I think uh, things are turning around for him, just like they are with Rodon.
0: Yeah, well, and yeah, John Gray was another one that I was uh, hoping to discuss, and uh, you know, so that, I think that's that's a good example there. But yeah, no, I mean I think we'll we'll definitely uh, be continuing this discussion next uh, next weekend for sure. But let's uh, just hit one last pitcher who doesn't fit the mold of all the ones we've been talking about, Michael Fulmer. Granted, rookie of the year recipient uh, from last year in the AL, but uh, from a, a an indicator standpoint, you know, it looks like a, a good, solid pitcher, but not uh, in the John Gray, Danny Salazar, you know, going to give you possibly 10 Ks per nine. You know, not in that category. So, uh, mm-hmm. w- what do you like about uh, about Fulmer? You've got him 12 spots oh, I, higher than
1: I, I don't. Yeah, I I basically I had 13 wins, uh, 150 strikeouts, and 177 innings. So so I think he'll just take a little step forward in the innings pitch, and he's solid. He's nothing great, but um, that ballpark definitely helps helps his style.
0: Absolutely. I think the lineup does too, so good points all around. And uh, on that note, uh, Greg, We've got to say goodbye, but uh, as we've said, there's going to be a lot to uh, follow up on next week. I'm sure a lot more pitcher talk, and uh, tomorrow we will be back with Jim Finch, so uh, do stay tuned. I'm sure there'll be some pitcher talk with Jim as well. Have a great Sunday, everybody. See you then.